Hey, Love Tribe, get excited for another great episode with Chase and our special guest. But before we start, I wanted to remind you about our amazing and free 14-day happy couple challenge. I don't know about you, but with the upcoming holidays, I'm feeling this hectic energy and I'm craving some grounding, fun, and meaningful connection with my partner. So whether you've been with your partner for many years and you're needing to mix things up or you're a newly coupled and you're looking to dive in to learn more about each other, the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge is perfect for anyone wanting to deepen their relationship and have fun while doing it. So head on over to our website to sign up. You can start connecting deeper physically and emotionally today over at idopodcast.com slash 14 with our simple, easy, and doable daily challenges arriving straight into your inbox daily. This free 14-Day Challenge will help you break the old habits and build new engaging habits that will push you to create a deeper intimacy with your partner. Sign up today for free for the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge to start strengthening and improving your relationship today. Head on over to idopodcast.com slash 14. That's idopodcast.com slash 14 to sign up for our free challenge today. Vida. What's up, I do podcast listeners. Welcome to today's show. Why am I speaking Spanish? <laughs> you want to take a guess? Oh, I know why. <laughs> We're in Costa Rica. Yeah, pura vida means pure life, but they, they use it as an expression down here, like a greeting or kind of like, what's up? And all uh, is good all here is good. in Costa Rica. Yeah. So if you hear any monkeys or loud birds, it is because we are in the jungle a little bit, but we got the doors closed. So it should be good. Or it's our daughter practicing her monkey sounds. Yes, that, that <laughs> could be it too. But we are settling in. We just got down here, just getting set up. And so far, so good. We love it already. It's beautiful. And uh, we can't wait to continue to bring you guys great information, great guests on the show. And today is probably the biggest show we've put out. We've had a lot of great guests and they're all very qualified, but today's guest is probably the most prominent public figure when it comes to talking about relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, Chase will go over Esther's bio for you, but you know, it's, she's pretty amazing. She what knows nine languages. She's been a therapist for over 30 years in New York city and has two best selling books, uh, New York times bestsellers. So, I mean, that's, it's pretty amazing right there. Yeah. Kind of buried the lead there, but Esther <laughs> Perel is our guest and, uh, oh, I didn't even say the name first. Well, you just said Esther, but yes, like Esther they, Perel. Like know. But yeah, Esther Perel, and uh, she is very articulate when it comes to talking about relationships, very prominent 
figure, like Sarah mentioned, her TED Talks have over 20 million views, two New York Times bestselling books now, uh, her first one, Mating in Captivity, and her most recent one that just came out, already New York Times bestseller, The State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity. And Esther and Sarah and I get into a lot of different topics. We definitely talk about her book and it's valuable information, whether you've been cheated on, you're thinking about cheating, or you're in a super happy relationship. It's, it doesn't have to be that you've experienced infidelity. Esther's book actually uses infidelity as a lens through which to just talk about relationships and it's really interesting, and Esther gets into how she does that and what we can learn from infidelity, why happy couples cheat sometimes is even a thing. Um, it's actually a lot more common than you might think. And uh, yeah, and unfortunately, of all interviews... Yeah, out of all the interviews we could have, Stella decided to wake up early from her nap. So... Unfortunately, I wasn't around the whole interview, most of it, but there are bits and pieces where I had to jump out and put a show on for Stella. So if uh, I'm MIA, that that's why. But I did get a big majority of it and it was an amazing interview. So yeah, it's always hard when Barney's in the background and you're like have this <laughs> huge interview and you're trying to and Stella's coming up, da 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 da, mama mama, trying to get us to look at stuff, but right. you can't really hear her in the interview, but she was there in the room, uh, not sleeping and, and, uh, but we love her. And, <laughs> and so you just got to take it. Exactly. But, but yeah, it was a, uh, it was a great interview with Esther. And as always, we appreciate you guys, you returning listeners. Maybe you're a new listener who saw that Esther's on the show and Esther, uh, like we already mentioned, just very articulate when it comes to talking about relationships. And we cover a lot of bases from, from infidelity to, um, how the public conversation around relationships is changing, communication, open relationships, and and how those are coming into the conversation as well. So a lot of great stuff. And as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy the show. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you choose from over 1,500 licensed therapists. Get matched with your perfect therapist today by visiting Talkspace.com forward slash I do. That's Talkspace.com forward slash I do. Hi, Esther. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. We've given our listeners a bit of an overview of your extensive background as a therapist and author, TED speaker. Why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. So I have been a therapist for almost since uh, 83. And I have been a couple of therapists, probably 30 of those years. And it's been clear to me forever that it's the quality of our relationships that determines the quality of our lives. And that I imagine a world in which people can experience a sense of aliveness and vitality in their relationships. And so I think the relationship landscape today is more complex than ever, that we are facing all kinds of new challenges. 
and that we are living in a much more individualistic society where many of these challenges has to have to be navigated by people quite alone sometimes. And so I've devoted my life's work to helping people manage these challenges, the crisis, you know, especially with working with couples. It can be hell, but it can be bliss. It certainly can. And we thought it'd be a interesting place to start as such a public figure now as an author and, and like I mentioned, TED speaker and obviously a therapist. And you're on the ground. We we just got your newsletter uh, yesterday about how you're on this book tour. You're talking to people. What are your feelings around how the public conversation is changing when it comes to relationships with all the resources now and information available? What's it like on the ground? What are you finding? I mean, I did another event last night. It's 450 people that come to talk about relationships, the aches, the pains, the longings, the aspirations, the heartbreaks, um, sexuality. They want a safe space, a respectful place where they can have the conversations and talk about the stuff that doesn't get spoken about. My new book is about infidelity. It's a topic that's shrouded in secrecy and in shame. And yet when I ask the audience, Yet again, how many people had experienced infidelity in their lives as the children of parents who were unfaithful, as the friends, the siblings, you know, the whole range. Um, 80% of the people raised their hands. So that's a lot of people that want to um, step out of the isolation that couples often find themselves in. So that's the thing you feel the most, is that people want face-to-face encounters. They want meaningful conversations. They want... Uh, deep experiences, and uh, and they come out as quite in 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 droves. I mean, it it's not a common thing that a book about relationships makes it to the New York Times bestseller list. And I don't think that, it, and I think it says something about the times that we are that we are in. You know, uh, couples are often isolated. If they are in a heterosexual relationship, sometimes women will talk to women, men will talk to nobody. When it comes to sexuality. We talk even less. And when it comes to forbidden sex, you know, people lie completely. So it's that feeling that I have. If people come and then when I sign the book, it's like I'm a walking confessional. What they don't, what they share with me, it's just so gripping. Um, and the, the way that they identify and the way that they feel recognized. And, you know, those who felt seen tell you, I really, it meant something that you spoke about this. This has been my experience. And those who feel that they wish they were seen will tell you, would you ever address that piece of the story? You didn't really talk about that. Um, And people want the experience of being seen, of being recognized, of being acknowledged for what they have gone through in a public forum. Yeah, that's fascinating that you're getting such openness from from the people. And and it's positive to hear, you know, you have uh, a podcast now, we have this podcast and we get great feedback. And then obviously your TED Talks, all of that with the information age and it's so available. People seem to be soaking it up and that the conversation is, uh, it's more public now. It's it's like a thing in our society, but it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, everything is being fixed on a relationship level. So what do you find uh in these engagements, is there, obviously your latest book is on infidelity. Is that maybe the biggest issue facing relationships on a, on a broader scale right now? 
No, certainly it's not. It's a, it's a leading cause for divorce. It's often a deal breaker. It affects way more people than we, than we know. Uh, but it is certainly by no means the only crisis in a couple. Uh, it's just that the other crises don't get treated with the same judgmentalness and condemnation as this one. It's a book about relationships that that uses infidelity to mine the deeper issues of commitment, of, of, of love, of desire. And it uses the, one of the deepest crises in a couple in order to understand how people actually deal with it, how they come through it, how they can mine their resilience, how they can come out with more robustness together or separately. So. I use the lens of infidelity because I thought, what better way to understand trust and fidelity than to look at infidelity and betrayal, but also to look at longing and loss and love and all the other themes that are so much a part of that. I think what you do, what I do, what so many of us in the field who are helping people navigate this terrain of, la- of relationships today acknowledge probably is that the rule book is really being reinvented as we go. It was very clear before. People had relationships that were organized around duty and obligation. Everybody knew who they was, who they were, what was expected of them, and what role they had to inhabit. And things were more clear. There was less freedom, there was less choice, but there was more certainty. And today we live in a world that has a lot more freedom, at least so we think. But it also comes with a lot more self-doubt and a lot more uncertainty. And with the, with the secularization of society, people come to therapists and to coaches to help them navigate those many, many aspects of their lives for which they have to make all the decisions these days. You're not being woken up by the bells of the church that tell you at what time to wake up. You're not stopping work on Sunday because that is the day when everything is off or Friday or Saturday. You have to come up with your own structures, your own boundaries, your own, your own discipline, um, because you have much less rituals available. And all of these individual choices are very enticing, but also very difficult to manage. The burdens of the self, I would say, have never been heavier. In your book, The State of Affairs, uh, one thing that you talk about is why people cheat. And through your research, you found that even people in happy relationships cheat. So can you explain to us why? This is actually one of the great findings of the book, is that infidelity happens in good relationships, poor relationships, open relationships. It really doesn't distinguish by those categories. But the finding about the the idea that people in satisfying relationships also find themselves strained is that we are very wedded to a symptom model. By definition, we think if we have found the one and if we have everything we need at home, there should be absolutely no reason to go looking elsewhere. If we go looking elsewhere, there must be something missing in the relationship or missing in the person. So we have very much developed a deficiency model. Whereas what I began to hear all over the world is people would tell me, I'm having an affair. I love my partner. I'm having an affair. I feel alive. And I try to understand what does this alive thing mean. And that was not about cheating. That was about transgression. The notion that people who have been often faithful for decades, these are not chronic philanderers, who have one day cross a line that they never thought they would cross. And so I kept asking for a glimmer of what? Why would you risk losing everything? 
And they, of course, they cheat, they lie, they betray. But what they, that is what they're doing to their partners. But what they're doing for themselves is often reconnecting with lost parts of themselves. It's not that they want to leave the person that they are with. It's that they want to leave the person that they have themselves become. And they're not looking for another partner, but they're longing to reconnect with the lost version of themselves. And once you bring in the longing and loss piece into the motives of the people who stray, it becomes much less just a matter of, I cheated on you. It's, I long for something that may have nothing to do with you. Our relationship is perfectly fine as is. And maybe I didn't even want to find it in our relationship. But we become an, often a narrow version of ourselves. You know, here is this woman and she's been mother for four children for the last 15, 16 years. She's the wife. She's the caretaker of her parents. She is beleaguered. She doesn't even remember the last time she asked herself, what do you need? What do you want? She's been a consummate, responsible caregiver. That's one of the prime motivations, for example, in female infidelity. Yeah, it's obviously there's a lot to unpack there. And so this all makes sense. But the last thing a partner wants to hear is, oh, I was reconnecting with the lost part of myself and and that's why I cheated. You know, obviously that can be the reason it's happening, but that is not going to feel great to the other partner. So what do you say to maybe prevent that from happening or to, to open up the dialogue um, around that? So to prevent it from happening is not the same as to open the dialogue once it has happened. If it has happened, of course, you're not just going and you're sitting there and you say to your partner, I just was missing me. The first thing you do is you acknowledge what happened and you show the remorse and the guilt for hurting your partner. Before that happens, nothing can proceed. This is a breach and that breach needs to be acknowledged. But after the breach has been acknowledged and after I can show to you that I'm really intending on rebuilding with you if that's what I choose to do. There is a question that has to do with meaning making. Why did this happen? What is this about? I think that if a relationship does not go through the stage of understanding why this happened, it stays at risk for future breaches because then the, the underlying issues never are addressed. That doesn't mean you are responsible for it. That doesn't mean one condones it. That doesn't mean one justifies it. But you do have to understand what happened. Otherwise, you just are left with fears about about the recurrence of it. And that what happened is not I just tell you, you know, I just tell you this. The last 10 years, I've been going to my parents twice a week. I've been dealing with my alcoholic brother. I have, you have been traveling the whole time for work. I have taken care of our four children. Shall we talk about that? From that place, I'm going to ask you to also understand what happened to me. And from that place, I understand what happened to you, and we develop a mutual empathy and understanding for the different predicaments in which each person has been. Affairs happen, and they need to be dealt with as such. If we just stay with the piece that you cheated on me without looking at a larger context, you know, that doesn't, and, and very quickly when we speak like that, it looks like now we are going to hold the other person responsible. We don't. But Crisis happens in a context, and that context needs to be unpacked. How we prevent it? Of course, the more robust a relationship, and the more parts of us we bring into a relationship, and the more communication we have 
the less likely we are to go looking elsewhere for the things that we miss at home. But that doesn't mean that I haven't tried over the years to tell you, my husband, I need you more here, or my wife, you've been traveling the whole time, you've been having an affair with your job for that matter. We think that the people who stray have not tried to talk with their partners. And this has just happened out of the blue. It's not necessarily the case. And one of the things that couples often realize and admit in the office, but don't admit in public, is that this is what it took for me to finally get your attention. I have been trying to tell you this for 10 years. It's not like I didn't try to work it out between you and me, and I just went and cheated on you. We have had all kinds of betrayals in our relationship, and we are not going to make this one become the one and only betrayal. There have been plenty of breaches of our vows before, but we don't call them like that. And that level of honesty is what ultimately will happen, help couples become stronger, more resilient, and come out of this crisis a better relationship that they often were before. Yeah, it's amazing what some communication can do. And unfortunately, it takes a, a transgression like an affair for someone to wake up and, and, and realize hey, they weren't serving their partner and then they start to talk about it. So we talk about it so much with our guests that communication is a huge thing. And one of the things that has been an advantage of doing this podcast is that Sarah and I, obviously, we learn a lot and we communicate on a level that brings us closer. I know, obviously, you talk about it a lot. You've written a book about intimacy, mating in captivity. And one of the things we I want to get into is we actually talked about this, uh, Sarah and I, off the air the other week, where just the definition of marriage and how that's changing in I think that's also a part of the conversation that's coming along is like, hey, uh, you know, you have open relationships and all the versions of that. So and, and after Sarah and I had this conversation, like I just felt better and we felt closer. Um, so what's your experience around the open relationships and, and how that fits into this and in, in the changing uh, definition of marriage? I think one of the things you've just mentioned that is really beautiful is that it's not the open marriage that matters nearly as much as it's the open conversation. It's the open conversation that deepens the relationship. If people will act on it or not, is not nearly as important as the fact that there is space to entertain these thoughts, these feelings, these longings, these attractions. And much of the time when they can be spoken about without shame, without defensiveness, simply acknowledged as part of the reality of our life, it actually is one of the best ways to remain monogamous. And that is a paradox that people often don't, don't take into account. It's like it's if you deny the reality of your non-monogamous thoughts, I'm not talking about lifestyle, just thoughts, that that in itself helps you be a lot more monogamous and exclusive with your partner. In terms of choices these days, look, today we live a model of marriage that is absolutely unique. We have moved from the traditional model of marriage, which was primarily a pragmatic and an economic arrangement, to the, to the romantic marriage in which we wanted all of what the, the traditional marriage gave us in terms of companionship and economic support and family life and children and respectability. But now we also consider our partner, our best friend, and our trusted confidant, and our passionate lover. 
and our best equal parent and the one with whom we clean the house. And we want really to reconcile in our one relationship the pragmatic and the erotic all in one. And now we've moved to yet a third model of marriage, which is called the self-actualization marriage in the language of researcher Eli Finkel. And in that marriage, we still want commitment and stability and security, but we don't want it at the expense of my individuality. And that individuality for some people includes the freedom of their sexual expression. The conversation of non-monogamy today is the conversation of virginity 60 years ago. It would have been inconceivable to think that someone may have had sexual relationships prior to their marriage. And today, it is sometimes inconceivable to imagine that someone could have a sexual freedom within their marriage. But this is the ongoing conversation about boundaries. And it is absolutely not for everybody. And people, many people, do, this, is not, this is not at all part of their conception of a committed relationship. And for other people, it becomes a little bit more fluid and it is up for them to negotiate. The biggest change around monogamy is that it can no longer just be assumed. It has to be negotiated. We do not arrive monogamous at our relationships. We can make a commitment after we have had years of sexual nomadism. And so therefore, we need to be able to negotiate it. What do we mean by it and what will it represent for the two of us? And unfortunately, my experience is that many couples end up talking about all of this in the aftermath of the crisis of an affair. Finally, they have the conversations that they needed to have many, many years ago. It's so true. And, and I love that analogy with virginity being the conversation 60 years ago. And now the, the non-traditional version of monogamy is, is the conversation. And it's so true. When I had the, when Sarah and I had the conversation, it wasn't that I'm like, Hey, we, I want to have an open relationship. It was just like, what would this look like? I have, I have these thoughts. I look at other women and I have these thoughts and sometimes I feel guilty. And, and just talking about that with Sarah was like this huge weight lifted off. And it's funny yes, how, how great it was. And then we're closer. And then we were like talking about, and I said, honestly, I kind of like the idea, but then in practice, like, let's really think about if we did it, I don't think we could do it. But just the fact that we're having that conversation is so important. I could even imagine it going further. I could even imagine you're thinking, well, why would I want to go anywhere else when I'm able to speak about this with my wife here? And like, it's so liberating. Yeah, it really was. And it, it just like Chase said, having that dialogue and talking about it, that alone made us feel closer and allowed us to be more vulnerable with each other. And I feel like we could, you know, we can have these deeper conversations now without feeling like we are going to judge each other. Correct. Correct. It's very scary conversation to acknowledge that people have attractions and desires for others because we very quickly feel it means I'm not enough because we live in a romantic model in which we think that we should be everything for our partner and capture every ounce of their imagination. The fact is that's not the case. And when we can just bring those thoughts to our partner, who just basically, she says, yeah, I have them too. And what would it be like? And, 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 and what do you think about? And then you, it, it is a paradox. But the more you talk about your thoughts about the outside to your partner, the deeper you feel on the inside. It, it certainly is 
a paradox, but it's one that I would really, we always try to encourage our listeners to, to do it. it. It might be hard to get that conversation started, but it, you're going to feel so much closer. And what would you say to, to our listeners who are afraid of having those conversations because of the impact or the things that it, it can open up in the relationship? And, and many people are afraid to go down that that route to start talking that way. So what would you say to them to encourage them to open up and, and share and start that dialogue? The fear that if you open something up, it becomes an incentive to act on it is a fear, but it is not necessarily reality. Reality actually is that if you stifle something, if you neg- deny it, if you pretend it isn't there, you're sending it underground. You're not making it go away. And then you turn something that could have been private, normal, shared element of the intimacy, and you turn it into a secret. And then once it becomes a secret, it starts to become attached with shame and with guilt. And then I'm going to talk about it even less with you. And then we start to create a bigger gap. It really is, it is not exactly the way it works. If you begin to talk about, you know, it's anything. It's, do you ever think about somebody that you once were out with in the past? You know, do you ever think about your exes? Which one of your exes do you think about the most? Do, do you have an ex? Not everybody does. But, you know, do you ever think about somebody that you, you wonder, what would have happened if I had stayed with this person? Are there people at work that you have a different relationship with? You know, and uh, which, if, if ever I wasn't with you, if ever something happened to me, who would you, who would you, is there anyone in our circle that you would be drawn to or anyone that you can think of? Well, what would happen to you if I wasn't around anymore? I mean, these are normal conversations. This is not just about, you know, falling in love with someone else. This is just, you know, if something happened to me. And when you have them in a, in a, in a safe space, they are so vulnerable and deepening of the connection. It's, you, you, you feel accepted in your entirety on both sides. And that is what makes you feel so seen. And that is what then deepens the intimacy, which I then call into me see. It's a beautiful thing. And it's not necessarily easy to do. Sometimes it's easier to have that transgression and it, relationships are hard work. And we always say, but it's going to be, so much better for you as individually and for your relationship if you do the hard work. So Esther, you've given us so much great information. Before we go to the lasting love round, we wanted to ask, as someone that is a relationship expert and author, and by no means are we in the same category, we just interview you guys, but we get (laughs) a lot of great information. But with all this information, as someone who's a therapist, you don't need to disclose like personally, but like us, we struggle sometimes with, we have all this information. Certainly someone that's a therapist, like some of our listeners are that have all this knowledge. How do you navigate that in your own personal relationship? And again, you don't need to disclose, but, but maybe for us um, or our listeners that are therapists or, or listen to the show a ton, um, you have so much information. Sometimes it can be like information overload. So it's very, it, it, I think actually it's a beautiful question. And it's, I, I'm very pleased to speak with you as, as other people who are guides. You know, we, I don't think anybody these days can call themselves a relationship expert. We, we are students of relationship. 
We study them intensely. I have a whole platform on my website where I train therapists to work with couples so that when I can't see them in my office, I have a way of reaching. And, for, and I think much of what I do is provide a vocabulary since I think that so much of what is needed today are conversations, which is what you and I are doing right now. Much of my work is about providing the structures, safe spaces for the difficult conversations. And this, they are sometimes very difficult, but they're so rewarding as well. And I would say that that's definitely one of the things that I have done. We are together for 35 years. That doesn't mean we haven't had all kinds of ups and downs like any other relationship. But I've always known that it, uh, it wasn't just that I thought of it as hard work. I thought of it as a relationship requires active engagement. You know, we renew our driver's license way more often than we renew our vows. Uh, a, a rental contract is way more detailed and specific than any marriage contract. You know, these things don't make sense. People bring the best of themselves when they go to work, and they often bring the leftovers home and actually not the best of themselves. Um, and then, and at the same time, they have more expectations about relationships than ever, but less time. We spend more time with our kids and more time at work and less time with each other, and yet we demand much more from the couple. I've always known, and I knew it for myself, that today the survival of the family depends on the emotional connection of the couple. The quality of the emotional connection of the couple is the only thing that will determine if a family will survive or not. We no longer get excommunicated. We have no full divorce. And in many circles, women have enough economic independence to go and be on their own. So the only thing that matters for the family is how well is the couple doing. And I kept that in front of me my whole time. We invested in us time, resources, time away, uh, communication, new experiences, ways to stay vital and vibrant with each other. And we, did, we, we really worked hard at resisting some of the high investment parenting and ideologies that sap all the energy out of the adult relationship and focus everything onto the children at this point. Because I really saw that as having a downfall at the end. I saw people who completely lost themselves. And then when the kids were getting older, there was nothing left between them. That was one of the things that both of us really, really were very aware of and have made conscious efforts to stay attentive to each other. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I can't take full credit. My mom asked me to ask, and my mom is a therapist and, and a listener to mm -hmm. the show. So uh, you've given us a ton of great information. Now we got to move forward to the lasting love round. But first, let's take a break and talk about one of today's sponsors, Talkspace. Talkspace is an online therapy company that will allow you to choose from thousands of certified and vetted therapists where you can communicate with them directly through your phone, through text, email, video chat, or voice. And it's super easy to do. And obviously, you're listening to this podcast, so you want relationship advice, whether you're in a rut or you just want to take your relationship to the next level. Talking with a therapist is the best way to get there besides listening to I Do Podcasts. So if you want to sign up today, head on over to Talkspace.com forward slash I Do and get $30 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com forward slash I Do and enter the promo code I Do. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. 
What is one tool or practice our listeners can use on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? When you wake up, before you grab your phones, have each other. Just check in with each other. Good morning. How are you? How did you sleep? Come here. Cuddle a moment. Then only go and get your phone. Is there a book or resource you could recommend for listeners who want to improve their relationship? Since one of the areas that I focus on a lot is sexuality, I would highly recommend the book by Jack Morin, M-O-R-I-N, called The Erotic Mind. And of course, I would recommend my two books, if I may. Please. And more importantly, the online workshop called Rekindling Desire, which is an application. It's kind of a how-to after you've read the book or even without, how you can continue to maintain a sense of vitality and vibrancy in your relationship. Rekindling Desire, it's on my website. Excellent. Well, our listeners know to find all those links on our website too. We've been married for almost three years now. Is there any advice you'd give newlyweds? Don't take anything for granted, meaning that all the stuff that you did in the beginning, because you were being especially attentive to each other, they continue to matter over time as well. In fact, they matter even more. So all the little messages that you send, the sweet words, um, the flowers, the, the, the special dinners, the, the special times together, don't ever think that that is only important in the beginning. Last question for you. What advice would you give our single listeners looking for a happy relationship? There is no one and only. There is one that you choose with whom you choose to make a life with. There are many more people that you can love than people that you can make a life with. Many people that you would love deeply, you would probably not want to make a life with them. Six months later, you'd be broken up. So when you choose a partner, you know that you always choose a story. And it's less about who you pick and more who you will decide to be that will determine the quality of your relationship. And we love that. And we really appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedule to come on the show. So let's finish by having you tell our listeners where they can find you and then we'll say goodbye. So you find me at estherperel.com. You will find in the events page uh, the upcoming trainings for coaches and therapists and all of that and the platform, the educational platform called Sessions. And um, you find me on Facebook, you find me on Twitter, and you find me on Instagram at estherperelofficial. And um, I thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much for all the work you do and for taking the time to come on the show. My pleasure. Thank you so much. We hope you guys enjoy today's show. If you want to check out the show notes or the interview links from today's show, head on over to our website at idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab and you'll see this interview up at the top, followed by all of our other past interviews. And while you're on our website, check out our 14-day happy couple challenge. We send you a daily email with doable challenges to help strengthen and make your relationship even better. And on our website, we also have a bunch of free resources in the form of downloadable guides and workbooks. Um, So for example, uh, some of the topics include how to cultivate respect in a relationship, how to heal from a bad breakup, step-by-step guides to help couples manage conflict, 
how to affair-proof your relationship. Those are just a few of the topics that we talk about uh, in these free guides. So if any of those sound interesting to you, you can check those out on our website at idopodcast.com. We hope you guys enjoyed today's show. listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com